The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. The spring sports have arrived, and so has a V89 sports alum. It is a good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there at 7.01 on this Monday night. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, uh, wvfs.fsu.edu, streaming online anywhere in the world. Uh, Tomahawk Talk, as always, available the next day in podcast form. We'll be talking about Florida State sports and a little bit of some Super Bowl 57 talk uh, towards the bottom of the hour, so make sure to stick around for that. As always, you can call us with your thoughts at 850-644-1837. A couple things we may not get to, the Tom Brady retirement, the Kyrie Irving trade, but those things are all in play maybe if you got something that you want to tell us and and drop us a line for it. But without further ado, I want to introduce our special guest of the night. You may have seen it already on our socials at VD9 Sports or uh, maybe somewhere else, but Ryan Kelly was here at VD9 Sports from 2012 to 2015. He's, He's dropped in for some shows here recently, but Ryan Kelly back in studio. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, coming on the show tonight. Fellas, I'm absolutely thrilled. Anytime I get the invite to come back to Scenic Room 420, uh, we're always here. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Let's have some fun. It's been a while since I've been able to just blab on the radio. That's one of the special things about WVFS and student radio as a whole. Both, I mean, Ryan Kelly and, and Arya Masudi, who we had, that's always uh, the first thing people go to is all the kind of crazy posters and signs that you see up in, in a place like this. It is uh, a cool place to, to broadcast out from and, and uh, thrilled to have everyone along with us for this show tonight. And as always, our co-host, the man to my left, Jackson Bakets. Jackson, good to see you again and uh, obviously a really exciting show that we've got in store. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get going here. I'll tell you what, if I was doing any better, William, I'd be dead. So uh, it's always a great time to, to have an alum back, especially someone with, you know, an illustrious career that's just getting started and, uh, you know, illustrious already. So I'm, I'm blushing over here. <laughs> Come on, guys. So uh, I'm just ready to get this thing going. We've got a big week in front of us and it's going to be a good time. We have our producer, Jack Oliaro on the other side of the glass. The number to call the show, 850-644-1837. Along the way, new release uh, at 8 o'clock, but here with Tomahawk Talk until then. We want to start off talking to Ryan because he's been uh, up to quite a bit lately uh, now with WCTV. He's been there for six years, the last two uh, now as a sports director so in that, that time span now, you know, sports director of, of WCTV here in town, how has that experience been like for you? Oh, man, it's it's so much fun. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the cool things about local sports and, and doing it in TV, because, you know, if, if you're writing, you've got to beat. Uh, that's just always how it works. You know, you're going to be on the Florida State beat. You're going to be on the Florida A&M beat. You're going to be on the Preps beat. You're going to be on this, that, or the other, no matter what market you go to. And, and what's fun about TV and why it – kind of appeals to my ADHD so much is every single day is different. You know, some days we're here, we're covering Florida State. I love covering Florida State. It's my first love in this market. And some days we're up north and we're talking and we're talking to Valdosta State. And some days we're down south and we're talking to Willie Simmons and what a wonderful job he's done with FAMU football. And then of course the the scene high school wise here, I mean, we've got almost forty five teams, and that's just the ones that play high school football. We've got probably closer to fifty, fifty one, fifty two that also play basketball, that also play baseball. Also, but there's just so much that it never gets stale. It never feels like it's repeating itself. And everybody says this, and I know you guys have probably learned this throughout your time here too. The, the people you meet. it's cool that you get to go to the games. It's cool that you get to cover the stuff you do. But the interesting people, the friendships, the relationships you make, I hate to literally say, you know, the lesson was the friends we made along the way. But it's true. (laughs) It's really true. And and that's what I really value more than anything else through this time is just meeting so many cool people, meeting so many interesting people. You know, some of my best friends, the only reason I know them is because I walked through that door 10 years ago to be a part of WVFS, and they're my best friends to this day. And on top of that, some of the folks I've met in high school, some of the folks I've met covering our colleges, just th- that's what you really become grateful for as time goes by. 
That's true. I think when you think of, of Tallahassee as a sports city, of course, everyone's the first thing their mind goes to is, is Florida State. But there's this city has a lot of great sports stories. Tallahassee Community College, uh, FAMU, high school, and, and I, I beyond. I forgot to mention the Eagles, too, yeah. Yeah, we see you out at, at Eagle Co- Field. Coach and, Cabrera's got it rolling on the court right now. Yeah, he's uh, number six in the country. TCC men's basketball checked in this week. They're going to be a, a power player for the NG, NJCAA tournament later on. But, uh, yeah, a lot of great stories. And out of all the things that you've done, uh, maybe what's what's the coolest thing you've gotten to do uh, throughout your time uh, or a great story that you've gotten to cover? Okay, so it's two things. They're both Florida State related. Uh, first of all, covering the Rose Bowl in 2014. V89 allowed us that opportunity to go cover Florida State and Oregon. Obviously, the game was nothing to write home about, even though we don't turn the ball over. There's a great chance we win that game. I'm not just saying that. But uh, uh, enough sour grapes. To anyone who's listening right now, the Rose Bowl, you know, there, there are some things that never live up to the hype in, in sports, in life, in general. It's you go to a place, well, this isn't as loud as everybody says it is, and the, the tailgating's not as cool, and this, the Rose Bowl is everything you've ever been told it is, and then some. If it's you the granddaddy of them all. Yes, it really is. It really and truly is, and it lived up to its nickname every single time. The view of the San Gabriel Mountains. Just the fact that it's just plopped in the middle of a neighborhood in Southern California. You're just rolling through houses and, you know, the Southern California. And then, bam, here's this big parking lot. Here's this big stadium. Here's these beautiful mountains behind it. And the, the pomp, the circumstance. And a lot of it's because the folks who run the game, the Tournament of Roses, do such a great job. But everything about it, it, it is everything you've been told it is. It is everything... Brent Musburger and Keith Jackson and all these great voices that you've heard all your life growing up. It's everything they've ever tried to sell it to you on TV. If Florida State ever makes it there, heck, if you're ever just in the area for New Year's, do yourself a favor. If you haven't gone, go. I I still to this day hate. I was in school during the 13 title game and didn't get a chance to go. And I would have loved to have been there, but I'm just happy, even if it was for the, um, uh, shall we say, consolation prize game. I'm happy I got to go. And the other one, uh, as especially at CTV, 2019 period, end of discussion, following Florida State to the College World Series, uh, following Mike Martin's final team. I mean, 11 is a legend. I, I, everybody listening to this knows that. But, I mean, the most wins in the history of college anything. Not, not, not college baseball, not college baseball, anything. Like, and to finish it off with – from last four in to Omaha. And there was a time that I really thought that he was going to get that storybook ending. Like, especially after they beat Arkansas that first game. I was, I want to say, Florida State's first win in the opening round at Omaha since 99. And they beat Arkansas, what was it, 2-1 to one or 1-2. One it was a really close game. I remember that. But to do that, to go to LSU, to go to Baton Rouge, which, by the way, another place that's everything they say it is, Alec Box Stadium, that's unbelievable. And as someone who grew up a college baseball nerd more than anything, you know, uh, I always grew up loving Seminole baseball more than just about anything. What a cool experience to see him get that send off, to see them be able to write that story. You know, even if it doesn't have the storybook ending, it still felt storybook the entire time. And to see places like Baton Rouge and Omaha and Athens, I'm really, really thankful to the bosses that we got to do that. We also got to cover FAMU in that tournament, too. They ended up making the Atlanta regional. It was perfect. We just got a hotel halfway between Atlanta and Athens. We split the difference. And, yeah. But what what a what a cool, cool time. And, and another thing I'm sure a lot of listeners would love to know about when you're uh, in Dilt Campbell Stadium in front of 75,000 people on the Jumbotron doing the, the updates during the game. What is that like to do that? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's what, if someone stops me, it's the first thing that will almost, especially like, you know, college-age kids. When I was in Tallahassee in college, I, I never watched the local news. Why, why would I? Like, you know, I've, we try our best to change that through social media and stuff like that. It's my job to get as many people as possible to watch our content, right? But... More people. I got stopped in a Waffle House at like 1230 in the morning on Friday after we do. We do our high school basketball show at 11. We like to go to Waffle House afterwards. Got stopped by a dude. He had clearly had a great night. 
<laughs> that's all I'll say. He's like, you're on, you're on the jumbotron, man. I just wanted to let you. I, I love you, man. And it was just like, like I think that's so cool. Because here's the thing, you know, we do that as a sponsorship. You know, we we don't get, I don't get a get up there for free. Like, and and so I guess when I took it over, because CTV's been doing that for a while. I but remember I, as a little kid watching it. Yeah, but when I took over, it was just like. Listen, let's get our money's worth out of this thing. And also, if you've ever wanted to be a professional wrestler, that's as close as you're ever going to get without having to take a bump. Like, yeah. like you get to go up, you get to cut a promo, have some fun. But the, the ultimate best thing in doing that job is when Florida or Miami has lost in the day and you get to tell that stadium that. And just, like, to hear that crowd pop, like, the adrenaline rush, the, the high you get off that, I cannot explain it. Like th- that is the funnest part of that. Now, yeah, but I- I'm just I'm I'm grateful. I- I'm really grateful that that's something that latches on to people. People really like. They seem to like. And you know, it's just it's just a matter of having fun. And that that's what I've always wanted to do with this. Is you know, to, to an extent, what we do is crazy, right? Like we- we're grown people. Like you know, you're in college. I'm in my late twenties. We get paid for a living or at least get paid in access or money or whatever if you're a college student, if you're graduated in the professional world, to talk about grown people playing children's games. Like, what a concept. What a life. Like, th- that's what I love about it. And, yeah, just being able to do that is just an extension of it. And speaking of that, uh, a lot of people you'll see out of school, many times you see people move away to get the kinds of jobs that you have, but for you specifically, what has it been like for you to stay in an area here in North Florida that, that you know so well? You know, it's it's kind of crazy because this football season marked 10 years since I came and moved to Tallahassee from Jacksonville. Um, it's wild because I could have, I would have never told you that when I showed up. Like, if you did 2023, you're still here. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad connotation at all. It's just... You know, life has a funny way of surprising you sometimes, right? And, you know, to have my career, to, to work for WCTV at a co- in college, fresh out of college, to have my time with Warchant, and for that to all lead back to CTV, and, you know, now to be the director of, you know, the dominant number one station as far as local television in our area for local news, you know, it's it's cool. Uh, like, it's, it's unbelievable to see... How much Channel 6, as everybody likes to call it, means to people. Like, to, to know that people have been watching it because that's what they watch with their parents and that's what they watch with their grandparents. And, you know, CTV's been on the air. We're two years shy of 70 years now. So, it, you know, it is a tradition here. It is a tradition in Thomasville. It is a tradition in Valdosta. And to just be a little part of that and kind of understand this community beyond just Florida State, because, you know, I love Florida State. I grew up loving Florida State. Uh, and now to understand and appreciate that plus the whole world beyond our backyard at FSU is is really, it's it's humbling. It's it's cool. And, and, with, and with Florida State, the football team being one of the, the country's biggest sports brands, what's the level of excitement covering this team as they, they've hurled themselves really back into full-blown relevance and now this upcoming year, it'll be legitimate contention. Well, it's a lot more fun than it used to be. Um, I, you know, I, I joined. Uh, I joined because <laughs> you know I've I've kind of got to run the gamut now, right? Like I was in school. I, we were just talking about it in 2012, and Jackson said that was a great time to come to Florida State. It didn't feel like it at the time when we lost to NC State in Florida, but it was a great time to come to Florida State because you know we were around for a 2013 title, and while I. I don't consider myself really, quote-unquote, on the beat until 2014. You know, I got to be around this town. I interned for Jeff Cameron back when 97.9 was still around, pour one out for the sports monster. Uh, You know, I I got to do all that stuff and be around a a title run, and that was incredible. And then to see it crumble, to see what happened with Coach Fisher, to see what happened with Coach Taggart, and now to see Mike Norvell the climb, if you will, to to try to get – get out of what's happened and to see Florida State become not just a brand because I mean Florida State could go 0 and 12 and the logo is still the logo the brand is still the brand the the dynasty is still the dynasty everybody knows about that stuff but now to see it back center stage to see folks want to talk about it on off season shows I mean you turn on 
ESPN and watch college football live or you watch, you know, the national guys on YouTube like a Josh Pate or something like that on 247. Florida State's all anybody wants to talk about in the ACC. And that's how it used to be. And that's what it just feels so right. And, you know, we'll talk about the schedule in a bit, I know. But to, to know that Florida State is being talked about, not even necessarily sometimes in the same breath, but above Clemson. It just warms your heart a little bit, doesn't it? It just it just makes you a little happier to see Florida State back in this conversation, back in the party, and it's not a hopeful thing. It's not a, well, I really hope that they can get those seven, eight, nine wins. It's a, wow, they won 10 games. They're ahead of schedule. What on earth can they look like next season when all these guys are coming back, when most of this defense is preserved, when you've got – a quarterback that a lot of people last year were worried could throw football consistently is now a Heisman Trophy candidate and, you know, has one of the best odds if you go out to Las Vegas. Like, that's cool. It's It's been really cool, and the credit all belongs to Mike Norvell. You know, the fact that the administration was patient with him and the fact that he never wavered. The fact that the vision now was the vision three years ago. This is what this needs to look like. This is what I believe I can make this. Just give me the time. Give me the resources. And then, of course, using the new landscape of college football to your advantage. I mean, Florida State seems very buttoned up in NIL. We know that. But, of course, the big thing that Florida State's been able to do, and I'm not exactly expounding anything, you know, brand spanking new here. Everybody knows Florida State's rated the portal better than anybody else in the country. Florida State has evaluated talent, the whole fit and family thing that a lot of people preach. Mike Norvell believes it's, it's not a buzzword. It's a, you are going to fit into my organization. Like, that's just good managing. Like, on top, take any of the X and O's and football out of it. Finding good people that fit where you want your organization to go, offering them, recruiting them, getting them to say yes, and putting them in positions to succeed, it doesn't matter what the business is. You could own a dairy farm. Like, that's... That's it. That's the pinnacle right there. And that's what impresses me the most about Mike Norvell and what he's done to really reclaim and push forward the FSU brand that's already strong is that he has made it all about what's good to push us forward. Not just splashy things because we're Florida State and we can have splashy things. What's going to really help us long term? And and you bring up an an interesting point there um, because it you know, Florida State, I think, the last time I checked, I think they're 19th in, in recruiting. Um, yeah, in they, high, school, in high school recruiting. They've been floated somewhere in the teens, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you look at Miami, you look at Florida, they're, they're uh, you know, top 15, I believe both of them are. And uh, Is Florida still there after they lost Rashada, though? I think they are. I think, I think they're 12th nationally. Okay. It, um, it doesn't matter. Florida's put together a yeah. really good class. You're right. But what I will say is that it, it seems like there could be this trend where nationwide people are starting to say, hey, look at what Florida State's doing. They're putting together this transfer portal class that's you know miles and away better than anybody else in the country. Is it time where people start valuing the transfer portal as you know the new high school recruiting class, as something that you can value or you can base uh, you know, a coach's resume on? Um, I think we, we could start seeing that. Uh, around the country, and um, you know, it's just it's impressive where you you can take guys that have proven at the collegiate level what they've already done, and say, hey, you know, these guys have shown on Saturday that they can play against the big boys, against other guys that are on scholarship as well. Not another guy that you know is worried about his algebra test, uh, you know, six hours before. So, you know, it, it's really interesting to see how he's. Mike Norvell's accelerated this program. Like you said, they're ahead of schedule. Um, what do you think about that? And to not just do that, because, I mean, there are great players that are going to the portal all the time now just because the opportunities aren't there. Um, the ultimate example is a guy that went to f- transfer to Florida State. That's Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson, New York Jets, a guy who wasn't getting his snaps that he wanted at Georgia. But take a look at Jared Verse. A guy, FCS, a guy who Florida State partially discovered because they were watching Albany play Syracuse on film in Syracuse week. They said, who is that guy? Let's get more film on him. Let's let's figure out a little bit more about him. I mean, you've got a tight end right now in, uh, why can't I think of his last name? Kyle, out of Shorter. Morlock. Yes, yes, Kyle Morlock coming mm-hmm. out of Shorter. You know, Shorter plays in the Gulf South Conference in Division Two. That's where Valdosta State plays football. We cover the Blazers. 
Shorter's kind of the running joke of the league. Uh, and I think he might be one of the first people to tell you that, especially now that he's wearing garnet and gold. But you see that talent, you see that growth spurt to find those guys, to scout out those guys. Because it's one thing to say, hey, you know, such and such is a former five-star, and it just so turns out that this other guy has come back for his senior year, and he, or he's just gotten beat out in a tough camp, and he needs an opportunity. Those guys are going to abound in the portal. But to find those gems those diamonds. And, you know, part of me does hate it that it kind of hurts FCS and D2 football. You know, as someone who covers all three levels, FBS, FCS, and D2, we don't have a D3. But I hate sometimes what it does to them. But from a Florida State perspective, uh, yeah, if if you can find guys like that, you go for it 110%. And Florida State, I mean, they're batting 1,000 on this pretty much. Is that sustainable? I don't know, but I think it says a lot about their evaluation. It's not just, you know, there is no rivals or 247 service per se for a sophomore in the transfer portal. You know, you you can't look at a star ranking or, or talk to some scouting service that's, you know, scouring an area every Friday night like an XOS or somebody like that. You've got to trust what you see on tape. And the fact that they've been able to do that says to me, not just about Mike Norvell, because that's a team effort. Like, the fact that you have an entire staff that's able to scout that well, I think a lot of people will try it, but I'm not sure how replicable it is because not everybody can evaluate like that. But that's not to say, to your point, Jax, I do agree with you. More and more people are going to realize, hey, we can fix more and more and more faster and faster and faster in the portal. Yeah, the fast comeback to prominence, the 10-win season in 2022, and we talked about the additions they've made for 2023, and that all led to the excitement last week, the the schedule release for 2023. Let's talk about it here. I imagine most people have seen it. There's, We won't read it off, obviously, but we can talk about it as a whole. Some people said maybe Florida State got the short end of the stick. Others said it maybe went the right way. What did you make of the way the schedule shaked out for this upcoming year? Well, I I think you'll get your answer on that either way, depending on what shakes out in September, right? I mean, that's the blessing and the curse of the ACC is the ACC lets you set your out-of-conference dates, and then they just have to accommodate everybody else in that point. And, you know, Florida State's got LSU on the schedule first week one of the year. It doesn't matter when you're playing Clemson, when you're playing Miami, when you're playing Florida, when you're playing whoever else. It doesn't matter when you play those because you're going to have to play one of those relatively close to playing LSU, to playing another team that's on the same trajectory that you are. You're going to have a top 10, potentially maybe even on an outside chance, a top five matchup in Orlando. So you were going to have a tough month regardless because you're playing that team right off the bat. And to have a bit of a breather at home after that against Southern Miss, I want to say, is headed to the – Yeah, it was Southern Miss because North Alabama's before Florida, in between Florida and Miami. That's right. Sorry, I'm trying to memorize this myself while we're – so, moral victories there. But, you know, to do that, the, the one thing I do think is tough is at Boston College before you go to Clemson. Now, personally, I love the Clemson game in September. I think it should always be there. I, I didn't really like when the ACC kind of seemed like settled on October, late October. Personally, because I'm a Jacksonville boy, and d- don't schedule things against Florida, Georgia. Florida, Georgia is, you know, the talking point of our states and kind of the South that weekend, regardless of what conference or team you like. That's the marquee matchup there. Don't try to run against that, A. And B, it just feels right because the thing is it gives whoever loses that game an opportunity to kind of compose itself and collect itself and go on a run. And that's what it kind of feels like here. It feels like the conference is thinking – this is probably going to be a game that happens twice. If ever, if everything goes chalk, this is a game. Do we really want these teams playing each other twice in a matter of four weeks or five weeks? But September, to me, has always been the spot for that because it, if you're Florida State, it lets you have a little breathing room before Miami, before Florida. Now, granted, you've got Florida and Miami in a matter of three weeks, so that didn't necessarily pan out this time. But, you know, the road trip to Boston College, it's tough, but at the end of the day, Boston College lost its best weapon in Zay Flowers. Granted, that offensive line, by virtue of not being last year's offensive line, has to be better for the Eagles. But there's still a whole lot tougher places you could have been. You have three straight ACC games at Duke Campbell Stadium for the first time since 2012. 
does it stink that you've sandwiched Miami and Florida the way you have between North Alabama? Yeah, a little bit. You know, you, you hate that you don't really give either of those games time to breathe. But at the end of the day, who, who's exactly thinking Florida or Miami's a 9- or 10-win team this year? And that's not me trying to talk any sort of rivalry smack. That's just me saying, look at what's coming back. Look at the season that either of those teams had. Miami will be better probably by virtue of some of the staff changes they were able to make. But does any of that really scare you? Does any of that really intimidate you? You've got Louisville off the schedule. You've got NC State off the schedule. You welcomed in to this schedule a solid Pitt team, no doubt. That trip to Pitt won't be easy, especially late in the season. But are you really scared of Virginia Tech at Doe Campbell Stadium? Are, are, are you really scared of Brent Pry's team after what they showed you last year? Unless they just hit the portal hard and just look completely different? What about that team scares you? If anything, I feel like Florida State kind of got a fair trade dumping off some of its Atlantic competition and now welcoming the artists formerly known as the Coastal Division into its schedule. Yeah, in case anyone hadn't heard, the next year will be the first season of the new 3-5-5 scheduling in the ACC. No more Atlantic versus Coastal Divisions. It'll just be the, the top two teams will play in the ACC Championship. And for Florida State, you get the three same opponents every year and then you play uh five teams or you know the the 10 the remaining 10 teams you play them every other year for the four years that they're going to try this out yeah the thing that stands out to me the most is by week the end of week four you're going to know where your team is at Mm -hmm. you get lsu and you get clemson maybe your two hardest games before september reaches the end and then obviously when you go and look at the end that you have to play miami and florida uh in a three-week span not great, perhaps, but all the games in the middle, uh, like Ryan was saying, the ACC schedule softens up a little bit with uh, Virginia Techs, the Pitts. Duke had a good had a good team last year with a first year head coach. But yeah, I'm, he, I'm I'm more worried about Duke than Virginia Tech, if I'm being completely honest with you. And I think you'd be right to say that. Uh, so Jackson, to you, looking at the schedule, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. If Florida State goes three and one in September, in September, excuse me, um, they have a legitimate shot to get into the ACC championship from there on, still out, um, especially if they if that loss is to LSU. Um, if, they, if, they're, if, they're, if they beat Clemson in September, I think you can pretty much shoe them in for the ACC championship. You're the home team. You're wearing yeah, Garnet and that's Charlotte. A, yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. So, um, like you said, I think at Pitt it's going to be interesting. Pat Narduzzi's usually got a, a pretty solid ball club uh, out there. I remember – They're never going to uh, embarrass themselves. That's right. I, rem- I remember they came to Tallahassee in, in 2020 – Florida State goes down the field, first drive of the game, you know, scripted drive, uh, throws up a touchdown on them, and then they just walled Florida State. I mean, they absolutely uh, destroyed us. That was also the um, first time Norvell ran that cool play where he, I think Rector was the tight end, and he slides yep. right under center. And st- I love that. I yep. love that play to death. That's a Lake County boy. We were talking about where we were from earlier. That's a Lake County boy. I have to, have to shout him out when I can. But, um, you know, Pitt, Pitt is a ball club. Obviously, you know, they go to the ACC championship two years ago. Um, but they they won that one, right? They did. Yeah, that's right. Pickett in the fake so, slide. Um, poor you know, Deeks. Yeah, poor Deeks. I'm I'm awake for a stand over the years. I Why like, is that? Because I like me some Dave Clawson. I do. Interesting. I I get sometimes he gets a little white, but the. I like Dave Clawson because he's a guy who clearly understands what Wake Forest is, yep. what he needs to do to succeed there. It's not going to be Alabama. It's not going to be FSU. It's not going to be LSU. But he knows every three, four years, if he plays his cards right and he develops guys well. Gets them to stay. And he, he can he can field a team that can beat one of, those guys, one of those big boys if they're not on their best day. I mean, how many times have we seen it here over the last I, – I just – I just kind of respect coaches that are very self-aware to what they are, what their program are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and it just kind of feels like he's mastered. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes he throws hissy fits that I'm not the biggest fan of. But, uh, I mean, as far as organization, I mean, how can you not like what Wake's done over the last 10 years? And you can't forget, though, you know, uh, in the press conference before the Florida State game, you know, you know they have Chief Osceola and... And the horse, and the he, he throws the thing, and it explodes. That's just one of my favorite sound bites. It explodes. Bites. That's, yeah. That'd be so much more metal. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. It explodes. Right. <laughs> He's, yeah, he certainly didn't make any friends in, in Tallahassee oh, with no. those remarks, and, and they've they've played well against Florida State the last few years. Hopefully uh, the Noles can get that back on. Yeah, A.T. Perry just killed us. Killed they, us. They had some year. receivers. Somebody's going to get a steal, like in the fourth round on or, or, 
second or third on like day two, early day three out of him. Yeah. So we're about half past the hour now at 7.30. We've been talking FSU sports with Ryan Kelly on Tomahawk Talk. You can call the show at 850-644-1837. We'll have some Super Bowl talk later on in the hour, but one ahead uh, like we teased at the top of the show with the spring sports due to be underway. Softball will be in action actually later this week on Thursday night, but starting the conversation for softball in 2023, you have to look back to a season ago where they go 49-5, and their best uh, winning percentage season ever in school history, and then they get bounced out of the first round of the NCAA tournament after having run rules in the first two games, and then they lose twice to Mississippi State, uh, which led to their uh, elimination. But most of the team is back. I mean, Sidney Sherrill and Watson, the, the pitcher, depart. But most of that core is there. Sander Cock, one of the best pitchers in the country. Mac Leonard, you got Mudge, Flaherty, Edenfield, the rest of that lineup. They're back. Uh, we've got five games this weekend to start the season. But, I mean, it looks like another year for the softball team in serious title contention. It's Pretty unbelievable what Coach has been able to do with this program, isn't it? It's they're, they're so much fun. They fight so hard. And you know what? Softball and baseball, you know, th- they can be cruel games. Th- th- that can be really, really tough stuff. To fall the way Florida State did after having a two seed, the highest seed that they've ever had in the history of the program, that's tough. And I'm interested to see how mentally they can shake that off. And I've always liked Lonnie's approach to it in that, Team 40 is different than Team 39, is different than Team 38. Wash out what you did last year because it doesn't mean anything to what we do this year. I tend to think that mentally they'll be right there in the right place. And, you know, this is an ACC that's a lot tougher than it's been over the last five, six years. We've seen that with the emergence of Virginia Tech. We've seen the good programs that Notre Dame will throw out. Clemson, of course, has only been a program for three years, and they've already put together a stellar, stellar program. It's cool to see the ACC evolve, but it's also been cool to see Florida State stay right there in the thick of things. It's been cool to see how Coach runs that program. And like you said, dominant pitching, dominant lineup. You'd be hard-pressed to find a real flaw in this team, and that's what makes them so much fun to watch. Yeah, one of the one of the coolest teams to, to go out and see, really, in this entire town, and I think they're due for another great year. The opening day, Thursday night at 6 p.m. against Lipscomb, uh, the Joanne Graff Classic, where they start the season uh, like they did last year and, and the couple years prior. Uh, so that's it for the softball side of things. And then baseball, they're a couple weeks out. They'll have the fan day uh, Saturday afternoon and then a couple weeks uh, from now uh, on the weekend against James Madison. But uh, a lot has changed for baseball, uh, kind of unlike softball. But uh, after three years with Mike Martin Jr., they decide to make a change and they get the guy that they really wanted in Link Jarrett. They bring him home, a guy from Tallahassee that played at Florida State and all of that. For you, Ryan, in covering this team, can you feel that that new excitement in this town for a program uh, with their new coach? You know, I, I think you hit on something there. You can feel it in the town. You, you can feel, and, you know, I, I really don't want to get into it too much because in any time you do, you just end up arguing in circles. Should the change have been made? Uh, you know, that's completely subjective. I, I think it got to that point where you could absolutely justify what Michael Alford did, especially if you have a guy like Link Jarrett waiting in the wings. I feel like you don't make that move unless you know you can go out and get that guy. But, you know, the argument here for s- such a long time is, there were the folks who loved the Martins. There were the folks who didn't like the Martins. You know, I, I always loved covering the Martins. I always loved, you know, the way that they dealt with the media, the way they dealt with us. They were always honest. They were always straightforward. But, you know, from a fan perspective, you could hear both sides, and both sides would scream at each other till they're blue in the face. And I f- just feel like getting past the, well, I don't like him because his last name is this, and focusing on the future of FSU baseball, you can tell it's just kind of been a shot in the arm for – I think some of the word backslidden of the baseball fan base because, you know, at the core of Florida State baseball is the most diehard of diehard Seminole fans, period, end of discussion. And I'm not just talking about the animals there. As much as you love the animals and as cool of an atmosphere as they make, the folks who love Seminole baseball adore Seminole baseball. And for them to now be on board, the casual fan to be back on board, you know, I know the grandstands usually sell out at Hauser but they've sold out again. They sold out a month in advance. 
I'm just interested to see what the vibe is going to be, how different things are going to be. Sorry, we're taking a picture for social media. Um, <laughs> on opening day against James Madison, this is a team that's going to hit. I, I think we all know that. Um, Jaime Ferrer, James Tibbs, Trayton Rank. You could go down and down and down and down and down this list of guys who can mash. And I think maybe a little bit of a change of approach at the plate, seeing how Florida State will do. I, I do think those strikeout numbers are going to come down because, of course, that was such an Achilles heel of Florida State's last year after leading the conference and the country in walks for so, so long. Their walkout-to-strike ratio was so, so tough over these last couple seasons. I think to see that change now, what I'm interested to see is how pitching evolves throughout the season. Chuck Rustano is a very, very well-thought-of pitching coach, comes with Jarrett to Notre Dame, but you're without Parker Messick. You're without the lights-out, strikeout guys that you had to depend on, and you're going to need some guys who were up and down last year to step up. We were talking about Carson Montgomery before the show. Monty's a guy who, if you're going to keep him in that starting role, you have to get consistency out of him. If you want Wyatt Crowell to be a Friday night-type guy, a Friday night ace-type dude, you're going to need more consistency out of him. You're going to need a guy that you can consistently get six frames out of a night. And then I think finally, I don't know if it'll be fixed right away, but I really want to see how this team evolves defensively. You just kind of get sick of some of the errors that Florida State's committed, not just over the last two, three years, but really over the last five, six, seven, eight years when you know, there was a time under 11, defensively was where Florida State would hang its hat. You knew they'd tear the cover off the ball. Heck, everybody did in the trampoline bat era. But they were going to be as sound a defense as you would find in major college baseball. And I want to see Florida State get back to that. I don't think that's an overnight fix, but I do think it's something that Coach Jarrett, when you go out to practice, you see just how emerged he is in details, just how emerged he is. It's kind of similar. And, and Jackson, you know, behind the scenes, Mike Norvell's practices are just so buttoned up and organized, and there's a purpose to everything. Not it, a moment of dead space except for maybe a five-minute period of, of rest and a drink. Yeah, go, go get your water. Go sit in the cold chamber. Yep. Baseball feels the same way now, and that feels really strange for anybody at baseball practice. I mean, going all the way up to the majors, how many times do you just see guys kind of sitting around and twiddling their thumbs? And, you know, outside of, like, pitchers on a day where you're not throwing, everybody's doing something. There's constantly movement. Hey, we're going to go to the foul territory. We're going to work on infield practice. One of the smartest things I ever saw was I, I was there for fall ball when they did this practice. Jarrett had a pitching machine, and he just launched foul balls or fly balls up against the screen monster, up against the fence. And, you know, how do you play that? You know, this is our park. We should know how to play our park defensively better than anybody. And it's just you can just tell the amount of thought that's put into everything is just high level. It's it's super high level, and that's that's what I'm really excited for, to see, I guess, some of the modernizations of Seminole baseball and some of the places that it still needed it. Because Meat did a good job of modernizing a lot of things, but there were still little components here or there that you thought, well, I, it just kind of feels like Florida State should be doing this. It just And to now see those things, it's really, really cool to watch. And, again, I don't think this will be a perfect team, but I do think it will be a fun team. Uh, it's a team that'll be in the postseason. This is Florida State baseball. It'll have its growing pains early on, especially. It's probably going to have to outhit some teams in conference play. It's going to have to win some shootout eight to seven type games. But if you can get this pitching staff to evolve, I'm really excited to see what this team can turn into come May and June. You touched on it a little bit. The new look for Florida State baseball definitely does not just end with the man at the top and the head coach, but the players on the field as well. You look in the in the field. Brett Roberts uh, got drafted, Reese Albert, Logan Lacey, Alex Terrell, uh, Terrell all depart. And then on the pitching side, uh, Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, they get drafted. Scalero also uh, no longer uh, with, in collegiate baseball. They've got some pieces there returning. Jaime Ferrer, James Tibbs, a couple of hitters that a lot of people like. And then with pitching at Montgomery and, and Crowell. But uh, how do you feel like... They're gonna they're gonna manage this thing with not just a new coach but a lot of new players as well. Yeah, there are gonna be some new pieces. I'm interested to see that battle at first base. It certainly looks like uh, Coach Jarrett wants to maybe even platoon, but there's a competition going on right now. A uh, couple names, but the the two I think that are really really big here that most folks are gonna know is 
James Tibbs, who's traditionally an outfielder, has been getting some looks at first base as they try to get him maybe a little bit more comfortable as they feel like they've kind of got the depth in the outfield versus Cade Bush, who was a guy who was enrolled at Florida State last season, ended up not playing with the baseball team. He's back on the squad. Uh, I went out and saw the old scrimmage last Saturday, and boy, some of the stuff he's able to do when he makes contact with the ball is really, really special. Hard line drives, great contact. I'm willing to see that. And, you know, third base is another one I want to see. I I can't think of – I'm sorry, I can't think of his name. My notes aren't right in front of me. But, uh, you know – Cam Smith. Yes, Cam Smith. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Amanda. Um, Cam Smith, big kid. Big kid. Naturally, apparently, a shortstop. And you don't think of guys that big. It kind of reminds you of having – a big Drew Mendoza type body around there, where it's just like, holy cow! But yeah, he's looked really, really sharp on both sides of the ball. Um, second base, you'll probably get a couple different looks. Nander DeSantis, of course, returns to the program. Uh, I know some folks crossing their fingers that you can get good defensive efforts out of him. Um, so yeah, this this is an infield in particular that's going to look a whole lot different in places. But as long as you've got carry on steady for you the sixth spot, playing shortstop, that's what's, to me, going to get this thing going because more often than not, it's that it's that sixth spot that you're worried, you know, can you get it to first base reliably? But then with that competition at first base, sorry, I tripped over my words there for a second. Um, at first base, whether it's Tibbs, whether it's Bush, can you have someone who's consistently in position to make those catches, make those grabs, make those easy routine plays routine? And you hope with with Bush and Tibbs that they can both be you know uh, hitting the ball in the lineup. You you hope that you know maybe one's a DH one game and they can uh, you know kind of go back and forth. But you know there's an old saying: if you can hit, you you can play anywhere. So mm-hmm. um, you know who knows you know who's going to get that three spot. But um, yeah, yeah, one of those two will end up DHing more often than mm-hmm. not. I mean, you you might play matchups on some days, but. They're both bats that are just too good to keep out of this lineup. Fan day will be this Saturday at DeKauser Stadium at 1 p.m. And then opening day when things really get started, that'll be next Friday night at 5. That's February 17th against JMU for the opening weekend series of the year. Before we go to the Super Bowl talk, our preview, we want to go to the phone lines uh, quickly because we do have someone on the line. And with us now live on the air, we've got... Dale calling in. Dale, you're live with us with William Jackson and, and Ryan Kelly. Good evening to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I was um, just wondering what the uh, upcoming football schedule, I mean, not not schedule, recruiting class is uh, looking like. Uh, are we getting uh, any uh, exciting prospects thinking about coming? Uh, personally, I think uh, we'd we should do well on the offensive line. That's what I'm hoping for. And, and maybe a good kicker. No, but, uh, yeah, I haven't heard much about it. So, uh, if you, y'all could talk about it, uh, that would be interesting. Thank, thank my call. Or if it's Brett asking for us to All right. Well, Dale, we thank you for the call and, and the question about recruiting the the 2024 class it is early in the cycle but they've they've got a four-star quarterback they've got a five-star running back out of georgia by the name of of cam davis what he said about the the offensive line does interest me a little bit because it it is going to be in 2023 a big transition you might have uh two or three offensive linemen departing depending on if dimitri emmanuel can get his his waiver for another season but but what do we think about uh, sure up that offensive line a little more. You know, I, I'm going to be fascinated because, like you said, it is going to be a time where guys move on. And the other key thing you have to realize here is that a year where if Florida State has the season we think they can have, they win the ACC, you know, if you win the ACC, you're more than likely in the playoff. Can that Florida State team retain Alex Atkins, who has been the magic touch when it comes to the offensive line or, of course, just recruiting in general for Florida State because you look right now at what 247 Sports has hard committed. Florida State doesn't have an offensive lineman in this class so far. It is a really highly touted class as of right now, 2024. It's the number four ranked team in the nation. You can't take too much stock in that sitting here in February, but like you said, there are some great pieces, a couple great pieces I know of firsthand. Uh, You mentioned Luke Cromack. I, I 
think that's how you say his name, out of Tennessee. I know a lot of folks really liked him, technically out of Benedictine Military from Savannah, Georgia. But what I really like about this class and what I'm starting to see from Florida State is that they're getting yeses from guys in the backyard. Take a look at the nine commits right now. Cameron Davis, he's a five-star running back. Doherty, Albany, Georgia. That's 90 minutes north. That's just outside our coverage area. Bluntstown in our coverage area. You got Jordan Price, a four-star safety. Camden Fryer, Columbia Lake City, originally from Swanee County, Live Oak. That's our area. That's our backyard, of course. Fryer, you may know that last name. Matt Fryer <laughs> runs it runs in the family. And of course, Kyler Hall, his former head coach at Swanee, is the head coach at Swanee. I almost let that get away from me. Fort Myers in the state of Florida. Woodward Academy, Atlanta, Georgia. Booker T, Miami. Uh, just where Jamori flags from, three-star. Keyshawn Mashburn, that's Robert F. Monroe. That's 20 minutes from us, Gadsden County. State of Florida, Georgia, particularly South Georgia, to build this fence around. And by the way, to Dale's point, Florida State does have a kicker commit in that class, and that's Jake Weinberg out of American Heritage in Delray, uh, considered one of the better kicking prospects of the 2024 class. No offensive lineman yet. We'll see how that rolls out, but obviously you trust Alex Atkins and what he can do. But if Alex Atkins leaves, is he a guy that says, hey, you guys want to come on over to the new spot with me? That remains to be seen. But right now, Florida State's got a class that's pretty highly thought of in the recruiting world. Again, super, super early for 2024 as we march towards early signing day in December and then signing day first Wednesday of February next year. But overall... Noel's looking solid so far. I got a chance to to watch Alex Atkins go to work up close covering uh, the fall camp from from the past season. And I have to say, obviously, his ability as a recruiter goes a long way in, in the types of guys that Florida State has been able to bring in the transfer portal where some of these linemen have come from. But even aside from that, just him as a technician of that position goes a long way. And I think sometimes it's almost just it doesn't. Not as much the number of stars next to his name or where he comes from, but if you can get him on that practice field with Coach Atkins and you give them some time, uh, I think they'll be able to figure it out. And obviously Coach Norvell knows the system that he wants to run and he can, you know, this is a, a different system to play in than a lot of other places in the country, but to sometimes it's it's to Florida State's credit. Uh, so thank you, Dale, for the call on that. Rem- one more thing real fast. Yeah. If you've noticed with Florida State's offensive line, you want to talk about the biggest place where the portal's done wonders for FSU? Right there. I mean, Florida State, from the time they went and got Dylan Gibbons about two years ago, they have just killed it again and again and again in the portal. Not even necessarily with getting guys that are like five stars that are going to play on Sunday, but getting guys like Jazz Turntine who are going to be serviceable for you. Getting guys who are going to build that quality depth. Because, of course, Florida State had its fair share of injuries along that line this year. I mean, and we could sit here and talk about that for a while. And the fact that they had ready-to-go guys, again, not all stars, not all pros, but guys that are going to go in and be serviceable for you at a Power 5 level, I think that speaks a lot about what Florida State's been able to do, not just through high school recruiting, but immensely through the portal to change the outlook of that position. I mean, completely alter it from where we even sat a year ago talking about Florida State football offensively. Yeah. Very well said. Got a big game coming up, the big game on Sunday, Super Bowl 57, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Right now, the Eagles are favored by a point and a half. The line opened as a pick and all the big money came immediately in on Philadelphia, and and since that point a couple weeks ago, uh, the Eagles have been favored by a couple of points or so. The over-under is 50. It'll be 6.30 this Sunday on Fox, it'll be in, in State Farm Stadium in Arizona, the third Super Bowl to be played in there. Of course, the 2007 season where the Giants knocked off the Patriots and then uh, Tom Brady's win over the Legion of Boom and the Seattle Seahawks uh, in February of, of 2015. It's a couple of big games. In I think it's stadium. pretty low uh, over-under, I think. 50. I, 50 points, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised with uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, that's a... It's a pretty solid you know MVP candidate might be the guy we'll see here you know when they do the NFL honors and then you obviously you have uh one of the most prolific offenses in the past decade uh with Kansas City uh and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey um but I'm rocking with the Eagles um I know we'll 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 do some predictions later but uh, this little soft tease um yeah I'm rocking with the I think the Eagles 
you know, we can argue they haven't been tested. Um, I just think they've been miles better than the competition in the NFC by far, and, and there's a reason for it now. Granted, San Francisco had a great roster just minus a quarterback and minus a serviceable quarterback, but um, I'm rocking with the Eagles. Eagles definitely did themselves some favors grabbing that one seed and allowed the rest of the conference to, to beat themselves up a little bit, and you draw – you know the the Giants after they beat the the Vikings and you're able to to get an easy win there and of course we all know what happened in the NFC Championship game where Brock Purdy couldn't throw the football with that uh, that elbow injury but this is the first time since 2017 that both teams in the Super Bowl are the one seed in their respective conferences coincidentally enough that was a Philadelphia Eagles win over the Patriots uh, in in February of 2018 starting with Philly. They began the year 13-1 and before Jalen Hurts injured uh, his throwing shoulder. It was a sprained shoulder back on December 18th. He took a couple weeks off, played the final game of the regular season as sort of a tune-up, and then they get that first round by. As we said, they beat the Giants in the divisional round 38-7. to The Eagles ran for 270 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Not much the Giants could do really on either side of the ball, but Philly just ran it right down their throat. And then, of course, uh, get a little bit of uh, Lady Luck against the 49ers, a game they went on to win 31-7. to What stands out to me the most about Philly's playoff run, uh, you combine the two playoff games they've, they've been a part of to this point, 275 passing yards to 416 rushing yards. They haven't asked Jalen Hurts to do a whole lot, and maybe you can say because they don't have to and the running game did their job, they've got some great receivers on the outside with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and you can't talk about them without talking about their defense. 70 sacks led the league. Actually, Kansas City is second in the league in sacks, so the two best uh, sacking defenses are going at it in Super Bowl 57, but they also had the number one passing defense as far as yardage per game allowed. So starting with Philadelphia, I mean, that's their resume. They're they're a pretty good team. They're a really good, complete squad. So, so what do we think about the Eagles right now? I mean, Nick Sirianni, you got to give this guy all the credit in the world. Everybody scratched their head after this hire, and now after two years, he's got this team in the Super Bowl. He's got a Jalen Hurts quarterback that, you know, the Eagles front office and Doug Peterson squabbled about for basically half a season, and we watched it play out in real time on the field, and now he's got him playing like an MVP candidate. And we saw what that drop-off is when he's not on the field and Gardner Minshew is, with all due respect, to uh, the Mississippi mullet man. Uh, and Jacksonville legend. And Jacksonville legend, yes. Um, all, all that being said, Philly just feels like such a – I don't want to say they're a team without a flaw, but they've played so well, and I get the people that want to rip on them for their playoff record. I, I get, oh, the Giants, and, you know, you didn't play a quarterback with a pulse. You still have to play that 49ers defense. They're pretty good, and you put up more points than them. At the end of the day, uh, you can only play the schedule you're given in the playoffs, and – Again, let's not act like Kansas City has always had to do these crazy things in the playoffs and on the road. Did you know that Patrick Mahomes has never played a playoff game outside of Arrowhead? Like, and he's been in the league, what, five years now? As the the guy in Kansas City? So let's not act like they had to go on the road and beat Pitts, a great Pittsburgh team or go on the road to Jacksonville or travel coast to coast like the Chargers did in wild card weekend. Let's not act like Kansas City's done any of that. Sure, they beat two better teams. Jacksonville looks really good. Cincinnati, I think, still overall is probably the best team in the AFC just because of the amount of ways they can beat you. But again, I I just think anybody who's looking at this and saying, well, Philly hasn't played anybody, is just kind of denying the reality of, listen, the NFC East... What didn't have a bad team in it this year. I mean, the Giants were one of the surprise stories. The Cowboys are still full of talent. Uh, the Washington Commanders, still able to beat you if you're not on your best day and had a pretty good start to the season. You had to play all those teams twice, home and away. The NFC is still really, really strong. And uh, do we know who they drew out of the AFC this year? What division? Oh, yeah, they drew the South. Yeah, because Jacksonville played them. Uh, the AFC South, yeah, we won't talk about the AFC South. Uh, the AFC South is bad. But uh, all in all, this is still professional football. Y- you know, you, you don't have FCSs and homecoming games and Dukes and Vanderbilts, except the Houston Texans. But Margin of error is incredibly thin. The margin of error is incredibly thin. So I kind of roll my eyes at the 
the whole, you know, well, look at who Kansas City's played and beaten versus Philly because this Philly team's got it from top to bottom. And the fact that it starts with Jalen Hurts surprises me a little bit, but you can't help but respect the game that he plays. He'll be going up against the Kansas City Chiefs right now. They're riding a seven-game win streak. They've gotten hot at the right time. Patrick Mahomes likely another MVP season in the books with over 5,200 passing yards, 41 passing touchdowns. They beat those Jacksonville Jaguars 27-20. to Revisionist history. If Jamal Agnew doesn't fumble there near the goal line, who knows how that game shakes out. But they're able to escape there on Divisional Weekend, and then they beat the Bengals finally 23 23- to 20 on championship Sunday uh, where Burrow had beaten Mahomes three straight times and finally an arrowhead. I found this almost impossible to believe that the last five AFC championships have been in arrowhead stadium, which I think even predates Mahomes by a year. Uh, So they're not often the underdog. They'll be the underdog on Sunday, if only by just a couple of points. And part of the reason why Obviously, the high ankle sprain that Mahomes suffered against Jacksonville. He looked healthy at the beginning of the Cincinnati game and then maybe put too much weight on it and reactivated it and was hobbling around again. You get the extra week, uh, two weeks between Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl, so who knows how mobile he'll be if he will be at uh, his full 100%. But his receiving core is likely going to be limited as well. The Chiefs today put McCall uh, Hardman on IR. Juju Smith-Schuster and Kadarius Toney are both questionable. We, we don't know as of now if they're going to go. Travis Kelsey had one of his best seasons as a pro at, at the tight end position. Uh, but outside of that, they have a couple of good running backs. But I think where it starts with Kansas City is uh, if Mahomes isn't 100%, is he going to have uh, enough weapons to rely on? against a really good Eagle defense. Yeah, because it certainly seems like Kelsey was the bailout guy throughout the playoffs. It seemed like any time they needed a play against Jacksonville or Kansas City, they or excuse me, against Cincinnati, they were able to get Travis Kelsey the ball, and he was open, which still kind of floors me. And I think it says a lot about just how good Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and that whole offensive staff is, that you're able to scheme one of the most dangerous weapons in all of the sport open consistently. But that being said, yeah, I mean, if this is a guy who can't make that magic happen sometimes when he's out of the pocket and scrambling, you're going to need Kelsey to play a great game. You're going to need that supporting cast to play a great game. And, you know, they've answered the call all year long. Jacksonville didn't lose that game because of anything that Patrick Mahomes did. Jacksonville lost that game because Kansas City had to bring in Chad Henney for a drive. Granted, they were helped by a very dubious roughing the passer call, but it doesn't change the fact that Chad freaking Henney in 2023 conducted a 98-yard drive. He wasn't asked to do much, but Kansas City answered the call, and I think that's what you've got to do. If you're Philly and you're in an opportunity where you feel like, hey, Mahomes isn't having his best day again, you know, maybe we've got a score here, you've just got to punch him in the mouth because Kansas City has proven their team, they're an organization, they're coaching staff, players, they're used to these games, they're used to the stakes, they're used to the opportunities, injured or not. If the play is there to be made, more often than not, they're going to make it unless you just take it from them. You've got to take it from the Chiefs if you want to win this game if you're Philadelphia. we got about 60 seconds left. Let's get our picks for Super Bowl 57. Yeah, so um, I'm picking, you know, for, for, for pizza points, uh, we're going, oh, I'm going and taking the over, excuse me, and I'm going to go Eagles 34-27. Speaking of pizza picks, by the way, I heard a really great explanation online about why to take the over on the national anthem. It's a country singer that is long and drawn out. I know Super Bowl is big with the prop picks, maybe looking at that one. First of all, uh, the more I look into this game, the less I like Kansas City, but it is really hard uh, to pick against Patrick Mahomes, I know, with the limited weapons. But when he's on a heater, and he he played well down the stretch uh, of that Bengals game, did enough to get the job done, I just can't pick against him at at this particular spot. I also think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is back. Maybe the running game can get something going. We'll see. Uh, I'll take the Chiefs 24-20. to Ryan, finish this off. I've got Philly 31-24. Uh, I think it'll be a good game. I, I think we're, we're not in for a boring Super Bowl. We're not in for, you know, Pats, Rams or anything like that. The, these teams like to score points. These are 
two teams that have proven that they will do what it takes. They make the winning plays. They don't play dumb football. They don't beat themselves. You're going to see a game that's back and forth. But I do think at the end of the day that Mahomes injury might be what shakes this thing and puts it a little bit in Philly's favor. Hard to believe Philly, that Lombardi trophy evaded them for so, so long until that 2017 season. I think they're going to win two in six years. I've got Philly 31-24. Ryan Kelly, you've said it all. Thanks so much for coming on the show, by the way. Thanks so much, fellas. This this was fun. I mean, this is always the greatest privilege and honor because this this place means so much to me. It means so much to people and guys and gals who were in the department during my time. I know my buddy Daniel Macaluso has been texting me like crazy. He's been trying to get through the phone line. Daniel, we'll get you next time. I promise. I love you, buddy. Uh, stay good down there in Orlando. Um, there's so many people that, th- not just this show, but this department and doing their shift and doing everything means the world to them. And to do this little thing right before new release, you know, I mean, this is the best thing in the world. To have an hour to talk sports with your buddies. And I, I say little thing. I did not mean it in that way because this thing meant everything to us. It still means everything to us, just like I know it means everything to you guys. Jackson, Will, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Absolutely. What a way to to finish this one out. I've been William Haynes for Jackson Bakich, WCTVs, and we'll always be V89 Sports, Ryan Kelly, our producer behind the glass, Jack Oliaro. This has been Tomahawk Talk at 8.01. New releases coming up next. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.